From my living room in Flatbush, I'm Amanda Suarez. This is First Generation. And we're live, right? We're recording. <laughs> Give us an intro about yourself. My name is Davey Gomez, and I am a freelancer filmmaker in New York from Miami. Parents are Cuban. That's why I'm a first generation person, right? Yeah, exactly. When did uh when did you pick up your first camera? <sighs> High school, really late. <clears throat> I mean we had one around the house but it was like really shitty and it was one of those things where like only the grown ups could use it because it was that like <laughs> of an heirloom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> super shitty, but I never really got to fuck with it. Um in high school, though, we had, like, TV production class, and then from there, I would take it and bring it home or anything like That's that. That's dope. Yeah. Spoiler I mean, I wasn't supposed to, but yeah. Oh. Yeah. Did you ever do uh, the morning announcements? Yeah, that was the whole class. <laughs> so that was the whole class. I uh, you, you could go, It's basically, like, the first class it was great because you just hung out for the entire period, and then at the last 10 minutes, you, like, did the whole thing. That's dope. Um, you know, I was, like, the behind... I remember one time telling someone, like... And she's just like, you take this too serious. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I do. I'm going to be hearing that a lot in my life. (laughs) Were you drawn to media as a kid? Like before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what you wanted? Uh, Not that I wanted, but like, it was always like, movies were always dope. You know, my dad watched a lot of Jackie Chan, Jet Li type stuff. Like, you know, he was, he liked horror too, which I wasn't never really into, but I was... Like seeing the one, the ones I would see, I'd be like, oh, this kind of shit. I still remember watching The Patriot with Mel Gibson. It's like a scene where he's like just hatching at someone. It's just like blood spattering on his face. I remember them being like, it's just ketchup. It's, it's like <laughs> they had a very like, uh, I don't know. It's like like we, the things we did together, it was always like the blockbuster ones or something. But whenever we watched the risky ones, they always had like the very conservative type of feel to it. Um, but I realize it now. I don't think at the time. Did you ever have a moment where you're just like, I am not good at this? And how did you push through that? Wasn't good at anything else either. So I just told myself like, hey, this is the one of one chance that I got. So let me just keep going. I mean, there was really no plan B or anything. I had a day job that told me that, you know, working a regular job was just... Not out the of the vibe. question yeah yeah not the vibe it wow. just was not because <clears throat> no matter how bad i always thought that i was i was like oh i could see people that are a lot worse you know so it was never a sense of like i'm not going to be able to do this i was just like man if this person's doing it i'm going to be able to do it so you know i tell myself that almost daily when i see other people with jobs that i want or when i'm working with other people with jobs that could be cool or like just wondering how the fuck they got into the position that they did, because you, it's baffling. They just kept going. Yeah, exactly. They just kept going. Exactly. I, that's and why this yeah. person's got it. Exactly. Yeah. Why can't I? Yeah, the motivation is free. The yeah. more, like you like I just you just see someone and you're just like oh wow, wow okay. An inspiration. And then you're just like okay, I could do this too. The bar is low. I got this. Unfortunately, I mean it's amazing. Some people don't even realize it. So yeah. a lot of people do will, will doubt themselves or will tell themselves like, you know, maybe I'll just do something like a safer choice or whatever. And then you end up like I, I remember, I don't know. I, it's not a saying or anything, but I always heard the uh, 
I don't want to wake up one day being 40 and, and blah, hey, what? Yeah. Like that whole thing. And, and I could see wanting to be like a nomad after living in like a nine to five atmosphere with the, the you know, the whole, yeah, like nowhere. Every creative has a different definition of beauty. So how does that, how do you interpret that? How do you interpret beauty and how do you then in turn put that into your work? Uh, I think it's through simplicity. I think uh, a lot of the things that I aim to do is that, well, when I first started, I wanted to like, you know, we'd have a budget of $500 and I'd be like, all right, so we're just going to do CGI or everything's going to be great. Like, you know, I'd have such ideas that were outside of the realm of what we could do. It was like, let's just burn a car or something. We'll find a place we could burn a car and then get the footage. Uh, it was always trying to maximize everything. And I think as I started understanding how things clicked and stuff like that, I wanted to like, instead of bringing it from all the way there, just bring it down to like a moment or like an action or like a cut that I could put together that could reach the exact, uh, you know, kind of idea through. So I think that more than, you know, because when you say beauty, it's not like I'm going to do like 60 yeah. frames per second, like a sl super slow-mo image, because that's kind of like a template that could be done. But like when you see more of a whole piece put together, like I think the simplicity is what I like from it. For sure. I keep, I mean, I've sent you like my little daydreams that I keep writing. Um, yeah, you got to make those. And which I have another one. I should send it to you. Um, but I keep, I see myself using montages as a device just because I, th that right now specifically, and this used to not happen, but now it's hard to describe, but I feel like I write really visually. Mm. I have to, I'm seeing it happening and then putting it down kind yes. of thing. And, um, it's, I don't know. It's just what how I'm, what That's I'm awesome. finding most beautiful, and it's weird because yeah. montages they could be great, they could be super great. I mean, there is no, no. <laughs> Any passage of time through music is True. is gonna work. I mean, I mean, I think Moonlight has that really good one where there is no music. She's just screaming at the kid or whatever. It, that kind of works as a montage. So I think it's there's devices that you could use, but totally visual over. Over, I mean, uh, unless you're Aaron Sorkman, where you could just write dialogue, Beautifully. like if it's just water. R.I.P. Newsroom. Yeah. Sure. I couldn't get behind the West Wing, though. But there was something that you used, there's a word that you used that, um, I can't believe I hadn't thought of it before, but you mentioned budget, which mm. I feel like is something freelancers, specifically in New York, are constantly having to work with and work around. Um, from when you started to now, do you have just any sort of just any sort of guide to just as someone who starts off with not much of a budget and then negotiating more and how mm. do, how do you, how do you determine that scale and how do you keep moving it yeah forward so i mean you'll see it and well, they'll say it in the oscar party or anything so it's it's not like an uncommon thing but it's like you are as good as your last project yeah so I think whenever you're doing something, I mean, we all have the ones that we're going to cave for because we know it's for sure for sure money. Um, but I think there has to be a cutoff because there's definitely power in your thoughts. And if you accept a one, you know, when I came here, I was making 125 a day and I was like, this is great because I was making 10 an hour, which was 80 for the day. When you take off lunch and, and taxes, I'm pretty sure it was even less than that. Yeah. So for me, I was like, 125, that works. So it's like, if the math works for you, keep doing it. 
only increase it when you can. Working with leverage and what you could do versus what's out there. It's also, net, this is where networking works. I think one of the best things about New York when I was here and meeting other people that are like kind of like living their life and just getting shit done as is, I think, because you're from Miami too, you know how people feel there. Not just a, Miami. Highly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, so... <laughs> You know people there, you know, we're not the most sharing people when it comes to, like, hey, like, so how much are you making? Like, everyone's very, everyone just wants you to think they're making a lot. And I, what I love about New York, that since I've been here, everyone's always like, so how much is your rent? So, I'm, like, everyone wants to know, am I getting a deal? Is this what everyone's paying? Yeah. And mostly we just want to complain about it. But the good thing about that is that you could get a perspective that's not your own. Because when you come here, and part of being... For, you know, back to the head of the podcast, like being first generation is that you're like, oh man, I've been accepting something that I shouldn't have been accepting for the longest time. Yeah. And I think that's something that people have to look out for a lot because yeah, sure. It's, it's awesome if you're making uh, X amount for a job, but if someone's making double, like what the fuck? We're doing the same work. You know what I mean? Do better. Yeah. If you could make on one project, what like you used to make on five projects, then that's when you tell yourself, Hey, you're this kind of person now and make just that one project and focus all your time give the same time that you would you would give those five projects on that one thing who is inspiring you at the moment or what is inspiring you at the moment i had like i wanted to give like a timer of how long it'd be (laughs) before i mentioned that i hate the president and i think that's where i'm at (laughs) like it's just like i just Seeing that kind of inspires me, the, 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 the power of, like, you know, putting up a cut of a, a video and put it... Like, I, I cut his inauguration speech, mm-hmm. the, the, the American Carnage speech, into, like, Red Dawn. Have you seen Red Dawn? It's, no. like, they remade it, but the original had, like, Charlie Sheen, I think, and it's, like, these kids that, like, take back Ohio or some shit because, like, the United States get invaded. And it's just this over-the-top thing where, like, someone invades the United States, and I I edited that over the voiceover, and it's just, like, something as stupid as that, that I could just fully, like, just laugh and, like, use the, you know, what I do for a living to get out there, and just the idea that someone else will see it, laugh, or share it, or anything like that. That's inspiring me at the moment. Obviously, the other topic, not gonna say any musician or person. I was gonna go there. Yeah. Well, what is? Were you a Kanye fan before? Like. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I have a short film that I never got to put together because of uh, <clears throat> the audio guy that kind of left the day before. Like, it just didn't fucking show up, and I filmed it still, and it it probably looks fine, but I just never had the motivation to put it together because of that, and it was basically like. My homage to spaceships, where like he talks about working at the Gap or whatever the fuck, and how you know he hates his manager and all that, and that's what I had working this terrible place in Miami where I worked on the phones. So for the longest time, I looked at Kanye as like, a, oh wow, this guy is always you know all his albums were different. That was always something cool. Yeah. He always changed it. He talked about himself. It didn't seem like it was like this other realm story. Like he was definitely. Good and I, I mean, I used to like Fifty Cent, but the Curtis versus Graduation moment was dope because it was like I'm gonna buy both, but I know that like the future is obviously in Graduation. Fifty had done the best that he had done musically. I know he still still has fans, but I think more so the uh, shows are his thing now. I mean, you grow up and you kind of see these 
this whole picture and then I think as, as, as you get more into this business you start seeing the bits and pieces that it's broken up into and the departments and all the amount of people that so it's kind of hard to admire one person you know what I mean like it's 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 more so a team that's doing it and, and yeah you could admire the way like I like how Oliver Stone kind of has gotten his projects out there they're all political stories and all that I like how Spike Lee's done his stuff um, you know Children of Men, top five. <clears throat> Birdman. Or even... No, I'm just listing shit. <laughs> speaking of growing up, you and I grew up in the same neighborhood. Um, not the exact same neighborhood, but in Hialeah, the same city. Close. Yeah. And I feel like... And you used to always tease me about like East Side versus, versus West <laughs> Hialeah and stuff like that. So how <clears throat> was growing up in East Hialeah influential? And how does that tie into your work now? This is the crazy thing about our hometown. I guess a lot of people's hometown is that a lot of people don't leave, you know? So I think going back is when I was like, oh man, this area is really kind of insane. It's like the, changed, the customs. I'm just saying the people there. Yeah. I feel like I have this very specific worldview and they very much live like that. So I think that there's a, a disconnection between what all of America is and what Miami is in, in itself. Yeah. So I think that kind of narrow perspective, I think I like doing that because it's kind of, you know, you could apply it to anybody and, and, and how their world is shaped through their upbringing or where they're from. So I like doing that. I like seeing how one perspective would be skewed because of person, place, or thing, you know? I remember draw. I used to draw a lot. I wanted to do like comic books. And uh, we had someone over that was doing I don't know what. And he like said this side comment how he used to love to draw, but his dad had something. And I, I remember asking my mom, like, what the fuck was he talking about? Like, what, what do you mean you can't draw? You can't pick up a pencil? <laughs> and um, she was like, well, no, it's just an old worldview. Or like they said, if you yeah. drew, you were gay. And I was like, what? Yo, that I and, didn't know. Yeah, it was this crazy thing where I was just... Because he was like a, a, a bigger guy, definitely a more macho, macho dude. And he was there... Thinking back, I, I remember him, like, admiring my, like, drawings, which were fucking terrible. Like, they're not good at all. And just for him to, like, connect that with what he was told not to do. And then having found out that it was because of a fucking, like, such a banal detail in what you want to do. So I think there's a huge difference in, like, what our parents were able to do. Because being first generation, obviously our parents came... Either they did or didn't know the language and how they were able to assimilate is all up to, you know, that. Um, so my parents were just always working. So to yeah, me, it same. wasn't, you know. I think really speaking to the people in my family, it wasn't so much about art being bad. It's just, and I, I tie this to first generation guilt as well. Like, we didn't come here for... Like it's just it's, we just can't afford for you to just paint or their just mind can't whatever captivate like, that it could make a lot of yeah, money. Yeah, they're like, just like you can't make that much money yeah, doing that. Stay in school, do something that's solid. Reliable <laughs> You'll make so money. much more money being a plumber. <clears throat> I imagine how many people are like now, you know, working, have the debt, have the the piece of paper, have all that, and they hate their everyday life, and they're at the place that they've been working to get at. A big thing that I always remember is like the family members I've had that I've been in jobs for 20 plus years mm. and still get laid off or still yeah, get fired yeah, yeah, or yeah, still yeah, like yeah, yeah. 
there is literally <coughs> no I, guarantee. Yeah, I had a, a family member that lost her job at uh, the airport. And I remember my mom being like, yeah, it's really bad. And, and I, you know, because we don't make conscious decisions. But now that you bring that up, like, yeah, like, I think part of me was like, like, I need a career. Like, I need a field where I could yeah. feel good at, you know. What is your biggest goal with directing? Your eyes yeah. got wide when I asked that. Yeah, yeah. Just because it's like the relief of being able to just make movies and that's it. Yeah, like that. Totally. Like, just being able to make a profit or work for a company that'll pay me to make a movie or any combination of that. The craziest thing about being on set is fucking seeing the director, like, one of the craziest things was seeing the director be the director. Yeah. It it was, I also just really like to be in that position where literally you are the sun things orbit yeah because of your presence well it's also like, horrifying crazy. though oh, have you yes. ever seen uh, apocalypse now yes have you uh so while francis Ford Coppola was making that movie his wife made hearts of darkness which is a oh. documentary about uh making that movie because he was self-financing it and like martin sheen had like a stroke in the middle of it and he had to leave and come back and then there was a tsunami and they broke like half the set so like him like it's also yeah. being like, all right, hey, everything's going to go through me. And it's also like the pros and cons of being like, oh, fuck, everything's going to come through me. And the pressure that that comes with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's 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 a give and take. Break people for sure. Totally. It's a total give and take. I I think I only welcome it because it's it's fun and it's better than, you know, doing other work for me. Like for me, I, I feel like. I mean, yeah, because everyone always. Oh, my God. It's really stressful. But they feed you, you know. They'll give you food. They'll tell you, "Hey, show up at this time." Yeah. They'll they'll take a they'll, no, someone well, will go pick you the, up. Yeah, if you're the director, someone's picking you <coughs> up. Son. You know. Well, no, that's why I'm saying, like, you know, the only people we ever hear from when we see films or whatever is like the director, the head of the department. There's yeah. so many people beneath them, and there's so like there's so much handholding that happens realistically. I mean, it has to because this one person can't obviously do like you watch these game of thrones inside the episode you never see the same person twice yeah well apparently one fight scene took 50 a days. battle seat or whatever yeah, yeah I, I would love that i can't even imagine and even that i'm pretty sure they had time restraints what goes into that yeah i, I think it's just Those all planned out insane. actually this is a random ass question when you watch tv does it is the magic gone for you since you know how some of this shit no 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 the magic's kind of gone for me well, then you got to watch something you like. Fair. Because Fair. I think, like, you know, I could watch any interview right now and be like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Like, I was watching, just keeping up with one podcast or one uh, thing, and I noticed they had, like, just, it was always dim or something. <laughs> I was just like, this is really shit. And it just took me out. I was just like, fuck, I can't even listen to the information anymore. Um, but I think, you know, if I'm watching anything by Nolan, I'm, like, super glued to it. From watching anything by, like, you know, something that's really good that actually, like... Or even if you see, like, a scene, let's say, and you see how, like, the composition of it, or you see, like, just specific themes in something. Like, do you ever think of it more analytically, especially now, considering that you make it, or things like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, for sure. Like, I, I could definitely like, see something and be I like, oh, that's cool. Like, I enjoy it. Like, I'm thinking about... Yeah, well, that's why I watch stuff twice, though. 
Because okay, the, first, the first watch through, I'm like, oh, this is fucking amazing. Because you can get, like, I have rewinded something because I'm like, fuck, why did, I, why did I start thinking about that? And, of course, we all have the, uh, the phone-itis. I um, But I, I make sure to just rewind, watch, and actually pay attention one time. Like, Westworld, you got to watch it twice. Like, I'll watch it once, and then I'll watch it midweek just to, like, catch small... I'll watch it with captions and without captions because it's, like, you have to really consume, especially on a, on a show like that that they're giving you a lot. Yeah. And me, I mean, they could tell me literally everything that happens, and I still won't know how to decipher it because they, you know, they throw so much at you at once. So I think there's the separation between something that, like, maybe I'll watch and I'll be like, oh, this is very... Simple, dull, and not as exciting. I could see everything they're doing versus something that I'm like, oh, wow, this is fucking amazing. I, I want to watch it two or three times to really see what they're doing. How many times have you been to Cuba? And when was, when was your first time going? Hmm. First time going, I was 11. It was 2001, I think. And it was good. I don't remember much. I, I remember just getting a pizza for like 25 cents. Uh, fucked up roads everywhere. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. And then I went 15 years later. And then, yeah, going the second time was fucking awful. Because I had been a successful capitalist by, by most means. Shit. So I had enough money to make decisions because, you know, you go at 11, you're just like, wrong. and I was like, let's do this, let's do that. And, and you really see, man, like, you know, people struggling. And like my cousin, like, I, like, I think he, you know, my mom makes me a list of like, hey, make sure to bring this, bring this. And I brought like a shit ton of towels. I brought sun lotion and all that. And then I hear that it's because he's like fucking uh, walking the streets of, of, like, the neighborhood checking electricity because that's, like, his job. He went to school for, like, checking meters and stuff. So he walks under the sun all day, 24-7, has to wear long sleeves. Like, his skin doesn't, like... He makes the equivalent of $8 a month. And it's, like, so crazy to see that, like, holy shit, what can you afford? Because if you make $8 a month, you're not going to buy anything that isn't absolutely necessary. Other thing with Cuba, everything's not available. My my uncle was making these pizzas. He's like, don't have cheese. It's going to be a while. I don't know when the cheese is coming in. It was the last time we went to like a supermarket. There wasn't fucking cheese. You know what I mean? Like, there's options. All, yeah. Like, I think my cousin's never seen like orange juice that he hasn't made himself. Like, it, it's just these small little things of life that you're just like, wow, you've really been yeah. isolated. I So I've never been. Mm. But I remember we had one family member come. I was young but old enough. And the first time we took her to Publix, she just like... I will never forget her just standing, taking everything in. Standing in the aisles yeah. and just like touching and like... It's extremely sad. Just in absolute yeah shock and awe. There's food. Yeah. Insane. And Really eye-opening. Her not... It was crushing to watch. She had to go back. So it was crushing to see. Like, she knew that she had to go back, but also she knew just what else there was. And it... I don't know. She's not alive anymore, but... That's what... that's. I think that's what I kept seeing in them because my cousins, I think one of them is two years older than me. One of them is, like, six years older than me. 
And I was like, man, the only difference between both of us is that you were born here and I was born in Miami. And to see that our lives are that drastically different, it's that's the, like the tough part of being like, fuck, like, I can't kind of explain what I do to you because you almost won't even get it. You don't know, like, what an ad is or, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's very specific way of thinking about things because as information rolls in for them, it's not the same as us. So it's, yeah, the second time going was great. I also, like... <clears throat> I think it was $60. I fed 14 people. <clears throat> Lobster, fish, rice, tomatoes, tomatoes, <laughs> tomatoes, lettuce, a bunch of shit, man. It was crazy. I'm keeping <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, that's, I don't know. That's, it's baffling. Yeah. And do you ever think, like, what would be of your life if your parents stayed? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like that, that is the, the gravitas of, of of being born here, which is fucking ninety miles. There's a little fucking sign that says it, and like like just seeing the difference in my life and their life, and it, I was, I man, it's it's soul crushing. It's difficult to speak with them, you know. It, it's it's I I take my old shoes, I take everything, and for them, it's like, oh, this is brand new, thank you, like, it, it's, it's, yeah, it really fucking hurts, it's insane, and you can't do anything about it, because, uh, I mean, unless they risk their life, or do something like that, it's the only way they're getting out, so. And, so, what does it mean to you, to be both Cuban and American, if that's how you identify? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, um, it means always giving a fuck about politics because the only reason my life is the way it is is because of politics and because of a reaction or a cause and effect of politics. So I think it's always being aware of, of surroundings and making sure that you're on the right side of history because there's a lot, a lot that could be passed by and, and, and kind of approved as we come into these companies and you see how culture kind of you know especially now that we're seeing with a lot of the sexual harassment stuff but you you see why it happens and you see why things get approved and you see how like you know from two years ago to today how we've normalized like a lot of stupid shit that we see something i think about actually quite often um is the cuban food and i can't wait to like experience this myself and then write about it but what was your experience with the Cuban food in Cuba versus the Cuban food in Miami? Yeah, sweet. Glad we could see more of a, of, of the good things because if there is something that you could attribute Cuban people, it's like their spirit and how happy they are despite the situation. Um, their food is fucking amazing. Mostly because it's all sourced from, you know, proper places and nothing's processed. So everything has that, you know, that elbow grease in it. It's fucking amazing. Going to Miami, the only difference is that you know, all the ingredients are the same. The ingredients just don't have that same kind of potency because they're, you know, manufactured and mass-produced. So I think, like, it's that seafood we had in Varadero that was, like, 60 bucks for this huge plate. I felt so bad. The guy, like, he catered it. He, like, gave us a huge uh, kind of pan that all the food was on. And he's like, I'll come back tomorrow. I need the pan back. So it's, like, shit like that that it's just like, oh, my God. Okay. You, you could give someone like that like a $5 tip and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. So it's, 
yeah, it's it's hard to think of Cuba without thinking of the money you- issues. But the food itself was fantastic. Did you ever have um, like dishes like vaca frita or like picadillo or things like that? And did you notice because they from what I've seen, and it could be different from what you experienced, they're just not necessarily always having, they don't have access to the same ingredients or maybe even the same spices. And did anything taste different for you or were things, because they had to sort of make do with what they had, did recipes change? Like, yeah. From, I mean, I wanted to have croquetas, there just wasn't the ingredients. <laughs> Which is, that's the thing, uh, my uncle kind of has a walk every day at like 10 a.m. and he's like, yeah, no, the boat didn't bring anything, and that, that's kind of how they live, you know, day to day. Um, one interesting thing, though, and actually back to my original trip to Cuba that I can remember is that we had spaghetti with ketchup and cream cheese. And they were really excited about it, they were really pumped. And then you think about it, it's like, all right, tomato and mozzarella, but no. Not the same. Yeah. That's a struggle meal, honestly, if I've ever heard one. My mom definitely has fucked up well, you, spaghetti for me. You could imagine, though, the struggle meals we see here, and we're like, all right, dude, like, yeah. you gotta pull yourself by your boots, you know, automatically yeah. you become a Republican when you're, like, and you see the scale. But, you know, that's a completely separate tool with exceptions. And, and what would you say is, like, your f- favorite Cuban dish meal? Oh, you already said it. Vaca frita? Uh, yeah, roba vieja. Ooh, roba vieja is bomb. But roba vieja and vaca frita are different. Yeah, yeah. I like vaca frita um, more so. I just call it roba vieja. But, okay. yeah, I don't like that sauce that they, they dip I in it. I hate the sauce. Yeah, I don't like the Anything sauce. Anything like in ugh, carne con papa, también con esa salsa, trash. Yeah. Just anything fricasse. That's the word I was looking for. Anything fricasse, not a fan. I just think Cuban people don't know like how to do a sauce. I'm sorry, they lost me at the same No, they can do mojo. Mojo's fire. Uh, that's it, that's where it, it, they lose me. But mojo essentially is a marinade, whereas a sauce is, like, different. Cubans can season, which I feel like that's the reason why you marinate, but... <laughs> They're just doubling up. Maybe, it's just like, I don't know. And I feel like most sauces are tomato-based, which I don't even yeah. fucking like tomatoes, yeah. so... I don't know, the fricasse, which fricasse, when I, when I start like exploring other Caribbean cuisine, like fricasse is just across the board, something everybody does. Um, but yeah, it's not like a curry. Like mm. that's a sauce that's bomb, which is, yeah, like that's fire. But fricasse just doesn't, yeah. can't land. Mm. Doesn't do it. Also, I feel like Cubans don't, don't really fuck with the veggie game. I mean, there's there's new. Uh, I think there's there's probably new chefs doing like. Were there any veggie stuff at Finca? I'm real. There's a bunch of veggie stuff at Finca, but Finca's also a fusion, which I'm really <clears> excited <throat> to see. My favorite thing, especially about Miami right now, is seeing the, <laughs> seeing the first generation kids, mm. oh, like interpreting food. That yeah, they yeah, yeah. Like. Absolutely. And not just Cuban food, but that is something. I personally that's I'm another super fucking excited. Yeah, that's a sick thing to do. Yeah, I yeah. think that's that's just how they're interpreting their first their dual identity kind of thing. And I saw a a baker that does vegan pastelitos, vegan uh, papa rellena, vegan croquetas and I'm just like, "Yes." Yeah. Cuz that's not Let's Caribbean try it. vegan food. 
Never. Yeah, yeah. Or not, or it's a huge shift. Even. It's a huge shift yeah. in the whole idea, the whole concept of Absolutely. You go everything. to Palacio de los Jugos, and it's just meat, carbs, and the vegetables you're getting are yuca, plátano, and aguacate. That's it. I'm Do they charge sure. extra for the avocado? Well, you buy it separate. It's just like, mm. dude, I forgot how big Florida avocados are, man. I know, man. That's why I, I, I like. I feel like guac was never a thing to pay more until like Chipotle made it this fucking rule, and now everyone wants also, to. Also, Cubans just don't eat guacamole. I did not grow up eating guacamole. That I exactly like. I hate how they've put that over avocado. Like, cause I'm just used to cutting it up, having straight off the tree, plucking yeah, it from exactly, the tree, going exactly. into your house, and <laughs> fuck. I mean, you see that with a lot of things. Like, because going back to Cuba, there, they don't have to worry about, like, trying to eat healthy or anything like that. Because all the food is, like, naturally made, you know? Yeah. But also, anytime they do get... Well, how do It's also work? illegal to have, like, specific kind of meat. I never researched it. Carne de rey. Carne de rey. They were like, if they catch you with this, you're going to jail. And I'm like, I gotta look this up when I go back home. Well, also, isn't carne de rey... That's cow, right? Which I feel like they're... Is that where they get their milks? Because if you end up, if you eat all the cow, then where you get the milk kind of thing. I feel like that might have something to You're do with trying? No? I don't know. Is that not a thing? No, no, no. Let's do a live Google. <laughs> because we I, can't just be throwing out Hail Marys into the uh, I, it adds stratosphere. Up to me. It adds up to me. Especially, so I was reading, um, when I did attempt to go to Cuba, um, October of 2016, um, Shihan and I were going to shoot like a quick little short and, uh, I kept reading on other people that had tried to do the same thing. And, um, it was this article specifically was saying how he hired like Cuban crew. And there was one time where they had to go into El Campo and in the van, they, he thought that they all just like dipped on him when they really just used the van really quickly to go and buy a pig. Or I think they killed a pig. Like, in someone's finca and then they were going to go back to the city to flip it on the black market and they couldn't they had to do that in this van that was already approved by the government because you have to like ask to be able to film and you have to like send them your treatment and stuff um so that car wasn't going to get checked yeah so i wouldn't doubt it if that's crazy that might be a reason why you can't eat carne de res so it says uh, from the HavanaTimes.org, an article from May 2016, cattle raising was a prosperous business in Cuba when the revolution triumphed. Cuba had a significant mass of cattle above the number of inhabitants. Today, it's less than half that. So maybe they, when the cattle population declined and they became aware of the critical uh, situation they were in, they decided to prohibit the slaughter of cattle and to criminalize the practice. Now, tell me why my cousin came up to me, like, my second day there, like, yo, there's there's some meat for, like, 40 bucks if you want to put it down. I'm like, we gonna eat. We're gonna eat, fam. Yeah, I'm sure they fucking kill those animals. They still Real do. That's what's so absurd it. about it. And it's a situation that they caused. Yeah. Well, not them, them. No, I, I mean they as in the Cuba's government. Yeah. Um, watch, watch me be, like, on a fucking list now. <laughs> We both will be. But my cousin will be there, so... Hey, That's probably worse family. for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is your death row meal? If I end up in jail for not a white-collar crime, just don't give me anything. 
If it's a white collar crime, my death row meal is. I don't. I don't know. I just the the, the possibility of me committing a white collar crime. I think is very. very Dog. Low. What's your favorite dish ever? Favorite dish ever. <laughs> it cha- like lately I'm into like veggie sandwiches. Sandwich. Uh, they had like a fried eggplant that was fucking amazing. Eggplant's nasty. No, no, it worked with the sandwich. It worked okay. with the sandwich. Fair, but, but yeah, what? like, like I'm not gonna, I'm probably not gonna commit a white collar crime. Just like, do you have this meal, this dish that is just like not? It checks all the boxes. Flavor. It's always bomb. It's nostalgic. It hits the spot. Like just texture. Every this one dish just hits everything for you for this perfect. Word, it would be then like vaca frita, mashed potatoes, maybe some soup. I like a lobster bisque. <laughs> you fancy. No, it's just because the texture of it. I feel that. So yeah, I think that, but like I said, the chances <laughs> of me being in jail for something that's not a white collar crime <coughs> is very low. And, and me committing a white collar crime question, is extremely it's difficult. It's not sticking lately. Yeah. My brother gave me the same fucking back and forth over this death row meal. <laughs> I want but yeah, do you have any anything you want to plug? Any closing statements? Any last remarks? No, no, just hey, if you're first generation, it's a lot of your fucking shoulders, so get up and do it. Thank you for listening to episode six of First Generation, the number one podcast according to your abuela. This episode was brought to you by Puppy Videos on Social Media the Roseanne reboot getting canceled, and my hatred for ice. I'm not referring to frozen water. Bye.